Good morning again, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. It's been a wonderful day of worship we've had together as God's people. I've especially enjoyed the singing today. You can certainly tell the difference in the singing. Appreciate all the work behind the scenes that's going on with getting the, the songs on the slides. I think that's gone well for us so far today. And the singing is sounding wonderful. It sounded very wonderful and uplifting and edifying. And I appreciate Brother Jared for doing such a fine job leading us in our singing. In this part of our worship now, we're going to transition. And we're going to study from the Bible. We're going to open up God's book. And we're going to learn some things from the Word of God. And so I want to invite you to go in your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 25. Please go in your Bible to Matthew 25. We're going to begin by reading the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse number 31. Jesus says this. He says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another. As the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Here we are. Here we are. Here we are in the final month of 2022. Can you believe that? Can you believe that we've been blessed by God to see the final month of 2022. And you believe we've been blessed by God to see the last month of this year. Let me ask you something. What do you plan to do in the last month of this year? I mean, do you plan in the last month of this year to declutter and try to clean up and tidy up your house as you prepare to, to see the new year? Do you plan this month to spend a little bit more time with your family? Or maybe watch some holiday movies or some college bowl games. Do you plan on finally finishing a book that you've been reading this year? Or eliminate some debt or maybe take on some new debt with holiday shopping? Are you planning on doing those kinds of things in the final month of this year? What if I told you this? What if I told you that there is a possibility that you may not be able to do any of the things you're planning to do this month. What if I told you that all the things that you're planning to do the rest of this month might not come to pass? They might not come to pass because of what, because of what Jesus says here in the gospel. I mean, what if what Jesus talks about here in the gospel occurs in the final month of this year? What if in the next few days, or even today, the Son of Man comes in all his glory and all the nations are gathered before him? What if we see him descend? from the clouds with his mighty angels? What if we see him start separating the righteous from the wicked like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats? What if all of those things occurred on this very day? What if the judgment day, what if the judgment day occurred today? 
What if the judgment day occurred today? If the judgment day occurred today, would you be ready for that? Would you be prepared for that? Would you be prepared to experience a day that is going to be unlike any other day you've ever experienced in your life? Would you be ready to stand before Jesus? Would you be ready to see his face? Would you be ready to hear him give you your eternal destiny? Look, I understand something, okay? I realize, I realize that in a time where for so many for so many religious folks, they, they thirst and they hunger for quote-unquote positive preaching that is designed to make them feel all warm and special and, and fuzzy inside. I realize that in a time like that, this subject, the subject of the Judgment Day, it's not really one a, a lot of people are excited to hear. It's not really a subject that a lot of folks are eager to hear sermons about. It's not really a subject that's going to fill the pews or fill the parking lot or draw a big crowd, but it is something that needs to be preached. It is something that we need to be reminded of from time to time. It is the greatest day yet to come in human history, a day that we're all going to be part of. A day that we're all going to experience, a day that the Lord Jesus talks about over and over again in the gospel as we've been seeing in our auditorium Bible class for the last couple of weeks. Jesus says the judgment day is coming and I submit to you that there are going to be a lot of surprised people on this day. There are going to be a lot of shocked people on this day. There are going to be a lot of people who are shocked to hear the bad news that the Lord has for them on this day. In fact, one particular group of people who's going to be shocked on the judgment day, even if it occurred on this day, are the unbelievers. The unbelievers are going to be shocked on, on, on the judgment day. Now, when I say unbelievers, let me be clear. When I say unbelievers, I'm talking about people who don't believe in God. I'm talking about people who don't believe in Jesus. I'm talking about people who don't believe Jesus is the son of God and he's the Lord and he's the Christ and he's the way, the truth and the life. I'm talking about the people who don't believe in his gospel. I'm talking about the people who don't believe that he came into the world and died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead. I'm talking about the people that we can read about in John chapter 19. When you go in your Bible, please, to John chapter 19. In John, the 19th chapter, you're in Matthew right now, but make your way to John with me, please. In John, the 19th chapter, we read about the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus dying on the cross. And the Bible says in John 19, in verse 19, in verse 19, Pilate, this is Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea who gave the, the authority, who gave permission, the green light for Jesus to be crucified. In John 19, in verse 19, it says, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered what I have written. I have written. Notice how here we find some people 
who don't believe in Jesus. We find some people who are watching Jesus down the cross and they don't believe in him. They don't accept him. They have not identified him as the Messiah and they don't want to identify him as the Messiah. They refuse to accept the supernatural evidence, as we talked about this morning, that Jesus gave in his ministry. These people were hostile towards Jesus. And unfortunately, that hostility, that hostility that many of these religious leaders or these religious elite people had, that's not going to get any better. It's only going to even get worse after the church is established on the day of Pentecost. I want you to go in your Bible now to Acts, the fourth chapter. Look at Acts chapter four In Acts chapter four. Now, this is after the Lord has ascended into heaven and the apostle Peter preached the gospel on Pentecost and the church comes into existence in Acts chapter two. Well, here in Acts chapter four, if you remember from our Bible reading in this chapter, we read about Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. Remember in Acts chapter 3, Peter preaches another gospel sermon. He preaches at the temple. He also heals a lame man by the power of God. And he and John are arrested. They're brought before the Sanhedrin council, the same people who rejected Jesus. And in Acts chapter 4 and in verse number 14, it says in verse 14, and seeing the man who had been healed, this is the man that Peter healed by the power of God, standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle was taking place through them it is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it we cannot deny that they've done a legitimate miracle here verse 17 but so that it will not spread any further among the people let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name notice how the same people who rejected Jesus are now rejecting his people the same people who rejected the gospel Jesus preached are now rejecting the gospel the apostles preached. The same people who rejected the miracles that Jesus performed are also rejecting now the miracles that his apostles are performing. People like this, people like this, people who don't believe in Jesus, they're going to be shocked. They will be shocked if the judgment day occurred today. You see, if the judgment day occurred today, people who refuse to believe and Jesus, as the Messiah, are going to be shocked to discover that they are wrong. They are wrong for not believing in Jesus. They're wrong for not accepting Jesus. They're wrong for not being honest with the evidence God has given. People who reject Jesus are going to be shocked if the judgment day occurred today. And the kind of people who would fall into this category would be the atheists. The people who don't believe in God, the people like Richard Dawkins and Lawrence Cross and Bill Maher and Bill Nye, the science guy, the people like the agnostic, the people like the Buddhist, the Hindu, the Muslim, anybody who refuses to believe and Jesus, as a son of God, is going to be shocked if the judgment day occurred today. In fact, not only will the people who flat out refuse to believe in Jesus be shocked 
If the judgment day occurred today, but so also the people who think they believe in Jesus, they think they believe in the Jesus of the Bible and the God of the Bible, but the reality is they don't. They don't believe in the real Jesus. They don't believe in the Jesus you can read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Instead, they believe in an imaginary Jesus. They believe in a Jesus that they've invented from their own minds and, and their own imagination. This reminds me of, of the people we've been talking about in our Bible class, those, those Jews in the time of Jesus. If you remember, we even made the point this morning that one of the reasons why so many people rejected Jesus while he was on the earth preaching and teaching and doing all these miracles for three years was because he was not the kind of Messiah that they wanted. He, he was not the kind of Messiah that they anticipated and believed God was going to send them. They were anticipating a Messiah like David. They were anticipating a Messiah who would be a war hero, a great military leader and would liberate them from the Romans and kick them out of Palestine and, and bring, on back, bring on back the, the good old days of Israel. That is the kind of Messiah that they wanted. They didn't want a Messiah like Jesus. They, they didn't want a Messiah from Nazareth. They didn't want a Messiah who was a carpenter and he came preaching about peace and a spiritual kingdom and loving your enemies and, and how he was going to provide a way for all people, even Gentiles, to be part of the kingdom of God. They didn't want that kind of Messiah. They invented a Messiah in their own minds. And unfortunately, a lot of people are just like them today. Unfortunately, a lot of people today have invented a false God. They've invented a false Jesus. They're walking around thinking things like, well, you know, God is all about love and he's all about grace and mercy and, and rainbows and, and sugar pops. And, and he's like my, my grandpa or, or my grandma. He, he won't sentence anyone to hell. He won't let you go to hell. He really doesn't care what I do. He really doesn't care when I get a divorce. He really doesn't care that I, I live with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. He really doesn't care how I worship or what kind of church I go to or if I drink or smoke dope or what I look at on my computer or even if I obey the gospel. You see, if the judgment day occurred today, a lot of folks are going to be shocked to discover that the God they believe in right now is a false God. He's not the real God. He's not the God of the Bible. He's not the God of creation. He's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who has inherent authority over us. A lot of people are going to be shocked to discover that. The question is, would that be you? Would you be shocked by the God you see if the judgment day occurred today? If the judgment day occurred today, would you be shocked to see that everything the Bible says about God is right? Would you be shocked to see that in addition to God being a God of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, he's also a God who demands careful obedience to his word. He's also a God that demands that we love him back. He's also a God of judgment. He's also a God who meant what he said in John 12 and verse 48, where Jesus says the words that I speak to you will judge you 
in the last day. If the judgment day occurred today, would you be shocked to see that the Lord meant what he said in that verse? Would you be shocked by the God you stand in front of today? I hope not. I pray not. I hope and pray that we're all doing our best in our lives to search the scriptures diligently so that we can know and believe in the one true God and not a God that's come from our imagination. Unbelievers would be shocked if the judgment day occurred today, but not only would unbelievers be shocked, you know who else would be shocked? Some good people. Some good people. Who are the good people? Well, if we were to ask, if we were to go around the valley and ask the millions of people who live in this part of the country, if we were to ask them, who do you believe the good people are? Who do you believe are the kind of people who are going to automatically make it to heaven? This is what they might tell us. They might tell us that in their minds, the good people are the people who do good things. The good people are the people who do good things. They're the people who are always nice. And they give to charities and hurricane relief programs. And they're kind to animals. They're kind to dogs and cats. And they leave good tips for waiters and waitresses. And they're good neighbors and good co-workers. And they don't steal and, and murder and rape and sell drugs. They don't cheat on their spouse. They pay their taxes. They're not Adolf Hitler or Osama bin Laden or Saddam Hussein. You see, for a lot of people, they believe that the good people, the people they define as good, they're automatically going to be saved. Automatically going to go to heaven. If the judgment day occurs even today, in fact, for some people, they believe in what's called a scale of balance. A scale of balance. A scale of balance is the idea that for some people, some religious groups even, they believe that on the last day, our deeds are going to be laid bare before God, and they're going to be put on a scale. And if the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, then guess what? You're going to go to heaven. You're going to be saved. All you got to do is make sure that on the last day, you're good, has outweighed the bad. Your good deeds must outweigh the bad deeds. And certainly, God wants us to do good deeds. Bible is very clear about that. I mean, that's why we read from Revelation 20. We read from Revelation 20 earlier. And those passages, Revelation 20, 12 through 15, remember, that's a judgment day scene. People are standing before the Lord. The books are open and they are judged according to their deeds. Deeds matter. That passage, those verses make that very clear. In fact, if you go home and just keep reading Matthew 25, you know, we, we read the first three verses there, 31 through 33 or 34. But if you go home and read the rest of Matthew 25, you're going to see that in addition to Jesus separating the righteous from the wicked, like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. When these people stand before Jesus and are judged, the main thing under consideration are their deeds? Did you help people? Did you serve people? Did you help the poor? 
that you help the lonely, that you help those who needed your service. There is no doubt that Jesus wants us to do good deeds. He wants us to strive to be good people as we travel through this life. But listen to me carefully. If we believe that on the judgment day, we're going to be able to stand before Jesus with our chest out and demand that he led us into heaven because we're so good or we've done so many good deeds or we believe we've earned a place in heaven because our good outweighs the bad. If we believe that's going to fly with Jesus on the judgment day, we're sadly mistaken. We're going to be shocked. We're going to be shocked when we stand before him and realize that is wrong. That is unscriptural. It is unbiblical. It is mistaken because go to Romans chapter three with me, please. In Romans chapter three and in verse number nine, the apostle Paul says in Romans chapter three and in verse number nine, what then Paul says, what then are we better than they? Not at all. For we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks or Jews and Gentiles are all, A-L-L, all under sin. Look at verse 23. You know verse 23. For all, A-L-L, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What do we deserve because we've all sinned? Look at chapter 6 in verse 23. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages, a wage is something you earn. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice how one of the things we all got in common is we're all sinners. No matter how good we think we are, we're sinners. And, and, and we deserve spiritual death, Paul was talking about there. Eternal separation from God. Pointing that out will only help us better understand what we find in Acts chapter 10 in the case of Cornelius. Do you remember Cornelius from the Bible reading? You want to read about a good man in the Bible? Read about Cornelius. You're not going to find, it's going to be hard to find a better man than Cornelius. Acts 10, you look at the first two verses of Acts 10, what do we learn about Cornelius? Well, we see that he's a working man. He's a man who goes out and he provides a living for his family. He's devout. He's a man of prayer. He's a giving man. He's a man who fears God. He tries to lead his family in such a way to where they fear God. This is a good man. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, this is the kind of guy you want to be your next door neighbor, right? You would want, you want to work with this guy, be friends with this guy. We want this guy to be a member of this church. It's a good man. And yet, go to the next chapter, Acts 11. And when Peter, remember, Peter was sent by God to preach the gospel to Cornelius. And when he returns from his trip with, to Cornelius to report of this to the Jewish brethren, Peter says this in Acts chapter 11 in verse number 12. In verse number 12, he says, The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings, these six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. The man there is Cornelius. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send the Joppa and have Simon, who's also called Peter, brought here, and he will speak words to you by which you will be what? Saved. You and all your household. Here's my question. Here's my question this morning. If being good... If just being a good person 
was good enough to save us, then why in the world did it not save Cornelius? Why didn't it save this good man? Why did Peter still have to go to him? Why did Cornelius still hear, have to hear words by which he was going to be saved? Well, the answer is very simple. The reason why this man still had to hear words by which he was going to be saved, even though he was a good man, is because no matter how much good he had done in his life, he still was a sinner. He still was a transgressor. He still was a violator of God's law, and he needed Jesus. He needed the blood of Jesus. He needed the forgiveness of God that the blood of Jesus would give him access to. Will you go in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1, please? You want to know what justifies us and reconciles us and brings us unto God? In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter talks about this in verse 17. In 1 Peter 1 in verse 17, Peter says, If you address as the Father the one who impartially judges, According to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing, verse 18, that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life and inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood. As of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Notice. Notice what brings us to God. What washes away our sins what justifies us and reconciles us unto God. It's not being so good, not us being so good, but instead it's the fact that, that God is so good. God gave us his son, the blood of his son. You see, the problem, and listen carefully, please, the problem with the popular, with the popular notion that being a good person is good enough to go to heaven. The main problem with that notion is it minimizes the blood of Jesus. It minimizes the seriousness of sin. It minimizes the death of Jesus and why Jesus left the glories of heaven. It minimizes our need for God and his forgiveness and his scheme of redemption. Let me tell you something. I don't care how much good we do in our lives. I don't care how much we give to the poor and how many charities we give to and how many dogs we pet and kitties we hug and how many people we rescue from burning buildings because we're sinners. We still need God. We still need Jesus. We still need his blood and his grace and his forgiveness. And we would be wise to realize this right now instead of learning it the hard way on the judgment day. You see, if we're currently not living for the Lord, if we're living rebellious lives, lives outside of the will of God, and we think because we're just such good people, we're going to be saved. If we're thinking that way right now, we need to understand something. We need to understand that access into heaven is not going to be granted to us on our standard of goodness. Instead, it's going to be granted to those who understand they're sinners and they need God and they're willing to do whatever God requires to receive access to the blood of his son. That's the gospel truth. And that's something we need to understand now instead of trying to wait and find out the hard way on judgment day. 
some shocked people on the judgment day are going to be the unbelievers. And some of the good people. And then third and finally, let me give you this last group. Another group of people who's going to be shocked on this day, even if it had occurred today. Or some people like us. Some religious people, some religious people who also may be good people. I want to invite you to Matthew chapter 7, to the Sermon on the Mount, please. Look at Matthew chapter 7, and I believe here we find a judgment day scene. I think the Lord has given us a judgment day scene here. And in Matthew chapter 7, and in verse number 21, in verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my fathers who's in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Let's talk a little bit about these people that Jesus mentions in these verses. I want you to know it is how these people the Lord talks about here are very, are very similar to us. They're very similar to us. I mean, notice they're, they're religious people. These are religious people. These are people who believe in Jesus. They call Jesus Lord. They have done a lot of religious things. They say they cast demons out of people, prophesied, and done many miracles in the name of Jesus. They are clearly believing people who are deeply religious, and yet in verse number 23, Jesus said they're still lost. They're still eternally separated from God. They're still told to depart from the eternal presence of Jesus because they live lives of lawlessness. Lawlessness, that's what Jesus says there. And while we might be quick to apply these, these words from Jesus to the people out there in the world, who are rebelling against God and they're taking part in religious error, while we might be quick to apply these words to people who are not members of the Lord's church, let me ask you this question. Could these verses also be applied to us? Could they be applied to me and you? Could they be applied to those of us who are members of the Lord's church? I mean, think about it. We're just like them. We're religious, right? I'm religious. You're religious. We believe in Jesus, right? We believe he's the Lord. We do religious things. We go to church. I mean, we're at church right now. We promote and do things like daily Bible reading. We pray. We teach our kids the Bible. Some of you here. You publicly teach, you publicly preach, you lead singing, you serve on the table. I mean, we're just as religious as these people who stand before Jesus here, which means that like them, we need to understand we can be lost. We can also miss out of heaven. We can also, if the judgment day occurred today, be shocked to realize that while we are members of the right church, while we are members of the church of Christ, we didn't do the complete will of the Father, as Jesus says in verse number 21. And the Apostle Paul certainly understood this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27, a familiar verse, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27, but I discipline my body 
and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Notice how Paul says that even as an apostle, he could miss out on heaven. He could be spiritually disqualified. He could be lost because he failed to do the entire will of God. You see, according to Paul, those who fail to do God's will doesn't just include those who openly rebel against God and engage in false religion, but it also can include people like us. It also can include those of us who may be right now living a double life. Those of us who may be hypocrites. Those of us who may appear to live good lives in front of other people, but secretly we're practicing horrible sins. Secretly, we're sexually immoral. Secretly, we're abusing our bodies with drugs and alcohol. Secretly, we're harboring bitterness and hatred and jealousy and envy towards other people in our hearts. Secretly, we're treating our spouse like trash. Secretly, we're gossiping about other people. We're selfish. We're self-centered. We're always just looking out for ourselves. We don't care what anybody else wants. We are ashamed and afraid to live for Jesus outside of this church building. You see, out of all the things we've talked about today, the main thing I fear, the main thing I fear is there may be some of our people, some of our people even here, who if the judgment day occurred today, they will be shocked to learn that just coming to church wasn't enough to be an authentic follower of Jesus. Just coming to church wasn't enough to be a true disciple of Jesus. You see, being a true disciple of Jesus who's prepared for the judgment day involves doing all of the will of the Father. It involves doing all of the will of God. It involves doing all of the will of God, not just when we are gathered together in this building, but every single day of our lives. The unbelievers, some good people, and even some religious people, even some people like us are going to be shocked on the judgment day. And so let me just ask you this, if the judgment day did occur today, which group would you, would you be in? Which shock group would you be in if the judgment day occurred today? It is my hope and my prayer with every fiber of my being that all, out of all the groups we've talked about this morning, you are in none of these groups. I hope you're not in any of these groups. Hope you're not in any of these shock groups. Instead of being in these shock groups on the judgment day, I hope you're in the same group as the apostles. I hope you're in the same group as the apostle Paul, where before, not long before Paul was, was executed by the Roman government in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 6, Paul says in verse 6, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith in the future. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all, even you, those who have loved his appearing. Paul had confidence when it came 
to his eternal destiny. And so did the Apostle John in 1 John, 1 John chapter 4 and 1 John 4 and verse 16. In 1 John 4 and verse 16, John says, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence. Confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Notice how instead of being shocked and utterly afraid and terrified, if the judgment day occurred today, the apostles tell us, that God wants us to have confidence. God wants us to have confidence and assurance because we know that we know God. Because we know that we love Jesus. Because we know that we love others. Because we know that right now we're living by complete trust in God and faith in God and an obedience to his inspired word. The Bible says God wants us to be confident when it comes to this great day. And so as we get ready to wrap up this year, Lord willing, I want to urge you, I want to urge you to please, please don't get so wrapped up in what's going on this month that you lose sight of this day. Please invest yourself in preparing for this day. Please invest yourself, invest your life to living for Jesus so that you can have the confidence that John says God wants you to have. In fact, maybe you sit there this morning, maybe you sit there and you realize that you don't have this. You don't have confidence when it comes to the judgment day. Maybe you realize you don't have that because you know you're not living for the Lord. You're not living that, that faithful life that he demands of people. If that describes you this morning, you don't have to leave here feeling that way. Right now, you may have fear and anxiety about the judgment day, but you can get some confidence in the next few minutes. If you're not a Christian, if you're willing to believe in Jesus and repent of your sins and obey his will, which demands being baptized, for the remission of your sins, according to Acts 2 and verse number 38. If you're not a Christian this morning, if you will do those things, you will become a Christian. Or if you are a Christian and you know you haven't been living that authentic and faithful life, if you are willing to repent, we are more than happy to pray with you and pray for you. And if we can help you with that right here and right now, come to the front. Let's stand and let's sing.